right when you don't know what to do just keep breathing from the city of angels in los angeles welcome to all my listeners out there in radio land i'm dave the caregiver's caregiver coming to you live and on demand 24 7 along with my lovely co-host former mayor of a california beach town we call her mayor debbie peterson we have 26 audio global and video platforms like iheart radio itunes youtube speaker soundcloud vimeo stitcher radio blog talk radio and a bunch more in fact we're proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on player fm and number two caregiver podcast on feedspot at the top 60 and number two on caringvillage.com and we have an especially exciting show planned for you today christina ramirez is a serial entrepreneur bringing her empowerment curricula to audiences everywhere from children to corporations her programs have been implemented across 40 states and with over 10,000 individuals from children to corporate executives. But before we get started on that show, I do want to thank my last week's guest. Seeing the devastating and deadly effects of marijuana in his patients, family, and friends, Dr. Raymond Wiggins began investigating the subject, and what he found shocked him. And just a reminder, that show and all our shows are on our uh, membership website, caregiverdave.com, and also those many platforms that I mentioned earlier. All right, enough of that. Christina, welcome to the Caregiver Dave Show. We're so excited to have you on and honored as well. Thank you for having me here. I was looking forward to it. Oh, good. <laughs> that always helps. Let me just say we like to ask our guests the very first question, just who is Christina Ramirez and why did God place her on this green earth? Oh, boy. Well, I don't know why God placed me on this green earth but i um i am as you mentioned you know i'm an entrepreneur i am a coach i am a writer um but i'm also a daughter i am a wife i am a sister and i my role i grew up overseas um my parents were expats and so i remember when i was eight years old i was going to school in my air conditioner car and it was being driven uh, by a driver. And right outside my window was a kid probably around my age begging for money. And I realized from a very early age that I didn't really do anything to be des to deserve being me. I just I was born and I was born to my parents and he was born to his parents. And okay. here we are in completely different situations of life. And that sense of gratitude for being born who I was and for having the opportunities that I have um, has always been a part of me and has always fueled me in, in terms of what I do in my life. And I think that's why I focus so much on confidence and empowerment, because maybe it's one of those kids that have the cure for cancer that killed my husband, but we won't know unless we give them the chance to really be who they were meant to be. Wow, that's a great answer. Uh, where are, where are you coming from? I'm in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Oh, Santa Fe, New Mexico. I bet it's hot there today. It is, but we are at seven thousand feet, and it's very dry. So, like, I'm I'm like I spent fifteen years in Miami, so this is a completely different kind of heat. 
I'm totally okay here. <laughs> so let's go to our first question. How do I find power if I'm constantly at the mercy of outsiders and influencers uh, when I am being a caregiver? That's a familiar scenario for caregivers, I know, because I'm one. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I also, I was a caregiver. My my parents died um, three months away from me, like one in April, one in July of the same no. year. They were both Sorry. ill at the same time. Uh, my dad had Parkinson's and my mom had ovarian cancer and I was their caretaker. Um, so well, how I, long did they last? Um, well, my dad had Parkinson's for a very long time. My mom had cancer for about a little under two years. Um, and that was in 2017. And then in 2021, in October, my husband was diagnosed with kidney cancer, but then he, and he passed away in December of that same year. So it was seven weeks from his diagnosis. So you to lost three very important people in your life. That is very high on the stress scale. Yeah. So when, when I, and I, and I preface, you know, and I say that not to be like, oh, poor little Christina, but to when I give you my answer, I'm not giving you my answer from somebody that hasn't been there. And I'm not giving you sure. my answer from, you know, it's like, I know what that feels like. You've been there and done that and you have the t-shirt and much more. Exactly. So I do, I'm a firm believer that life happens to us but we get to define what we do with that. Um, and we have so much more power as caretakers, as individuals, as anybody that we don't recognize and then we don't use. And that first power is the power of our thoughts. You know, So I can influence you, but I can't make you think something without your permission. And it all starts there. Like that is a lot of power. When I work with kids, I tell them, you know, as a parent, it drives me bananas because mm -hmm. I can I can control what you wear, what school you go to, what you eat, all of those things, but I cannot control what you think. It's the one thing that you have a hundred percent power of. Well, wow. you know, and they're like, oh, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. right. And if we take that power, then it does like the things outside of us that we can't control. I don't know, but I get to decide what I think about those things. So if I'm stressed out or if all these things are happening, I can create a story that's going to keep me in that. I, I like I reluctantly use the word victim. Right. But I, I'm you know, that that keeps me in the disempowering moment of all these things are happening and it's somebody else's life. And here I am stuck having to do this or I can change that thought and I can change that story into how lucky I am that I get to be here for this moment because the rest of the world is going to keep going, but this is going to finish soon. And I'm the one that has the privilege to be doing this. Is it fun when you have, you're stuck going to the doctor at three o'clock in the morning because someone had an emergency? No, but it's still in my control. What narrative yeah. to, to have. Sure. And I can't imagine what it's like losing two parents so close to each other, but I think you've, you've already touched on that. Debbie, you got a question? Well, I'm just busy um, absorbing that because it yeah. you, you put it so wonderfully and so simply. It, it is so powerful. I guess um, the only thing I would ask is, is how do you see that uh, for caregivers? Any specific um, insights or, or um, 
advice for caregivers who are who are kind of stuck in their circumstances sometimes. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I think the best advice for any caregiver of all time is, you know, the oxygen mask. You've got to take care of yourself because that is what gives you the ability to then access that power of thought and transform those stories. But if you are depleted, if you're so stressed out, if you don't have access to that little thread of reason to grab on to that power of thought, then that's a problem, right? So so you have to make sure that whatever it is, and, and it doesn't mean you know, spend two months in, I don't know, like it can be something little, but just something that gets you back to you so that you can access all the power that you already have inside of you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you a story. So when my husband was passing away, you know, I, w- I was holding his hand when when he took his last breath. And like, that was li- like the worst day of my entire existence. But even in that moment of complete and utter devastation, which is what I was feeling. You know, my kids are in high school, like he's the 50 set, like it was just my brain wasn't understanding what was happening. But even then, there was a little light inside of me that said is like, we've been here before, we're going to be okay. And it was that little light and that little thread that eventually allowed me to transform the story that I was telling myself about my circumstance. And it's not make-believe, right? I'm not saying like, oh, did did everything's wonderful and perfect. And yes, my husband died, isn't that one? Like, I'm not saying that. Like, you can't make up stuff um, and think that your subconscious is going to go along with it. But you do have the power to transform a story that you can grab onto. And maybe you grab onto like, well, I'm breathing. And then the next thing you grab onto is like, well, I'm breathing and I'm walking. And then the next is like, well, I'm breathing, I'm walking and I'm going to work or I'm breathing and chewing gum, whatever it is. And you go building yourself back up. You know, there is a question I didn't ask that keeps running through my head. I have a very dear friend who lost her business during COVID, so was completely isolated. Then uh, her husband died just after we got out of the whole COVID situation, and she hasn't been able to pull herself out of it. And I'm not sure if it's uh, clinical depression. Um, well, I suspect it is. And um, But it, uh, I don't even know what to do for her. What about for those of us who see our friends and family, perhaps in, in a muddle like that, and simply unable to pull themselves out of it, seemingly unable to do what you're suggesting. Any any suggestions on that? Sure. So first, I mean, mental health is a very serious issue, right? And depression is a very serious thing. And if the chemicals in your brain are stuck in flight or flight or in sadness, and you can't access anything, that is a different issue. And that's something that you need professional help with, whether that is medicine or whatever it is. So in that situation, the only thing that you can do is encourage them to get the help that they need because we're not going to be able to provide. I mean, I'm not a therapist, so I'm I'm not going to be able to provide that service to them, but I can hold space for their sadness. And in, you know, the the if if when I was in the thick of, you know, my husband dying, if you would have told me, it's like, oh, don't worry, everything's gonna be okay, I would have punched you. I could I couldn't hear that, right? So it's just holding space and just knowing it's like, look, you don't need to talk. You don't need like, I'm just going to be here in case 
you need anything. And just for you to know that you're not alone, but you don't have to do anything. You don't have to acknowledge me. You don't have to talk to me. Just hold the space for them to go through whatever it is that they're going to go through. And if after a little bit, they're not coming through, then it's encouraging them to get the help that they need in order. Because I mean, I've had serious depression in the past, like in my thirties, I was a suicidal addict and a psych ward. Um, So when you're in that depth, you're no longer in control and you just need somebody to say like, here, let's go. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to make an appointment for you. I'm going to take you and you can fight and scream and whatever, which I did, but deep down I wanted help and I got there and that's what got me the help that I needed at that time. Now you seem so well-adjusted now. Yeah. It's interesting how you say when you were in the midst of watching your husband die which would be number three for you, uh, mm-hmm. close death, um, that that you were looking for a positive, or maybe it just came to you that no, 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 we've been here before, we've done done this, uh, as opposed to someone might say, oh my gosh, all things come in threes. I could barely handle the first two. Now this, I don't know how I'm going to make it. You know, those are two separately different mindsets. Why didn't you go there? It was a choice. And that's what I think I try to tell people. It's like, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's fun, but it's a choice. So you were tempted to go there. A hundred percent. I mean, if I could have laid in my bed with the covers over my head and stayed there for eternity, I might have chosen that, but I can't. And I also have kids and I needed- were they at the time? uh, 14 and 15. So thank goodness for kids. Sometimes we do for others what we cannot do for ourselves. Absolutely. And so I, you know, I couldn't, I had to rise up for, for them as well. So it, and and all this is part of the grief process, you know, the, the denial, the anger, the bargaining, the depression and the acceptance. Tell us about your grief process. Oh, my grief. Like I think, I have never experienced anything like that, you know, like this, like I remember the day that I went home for the first time because we were in the ICU for like 11 days before he has to be taken off life support. So I went home and our home was three hours away from from the hospital because I live in a little rural town in New Mexico. And, um, and I opened the door and, you know, his keys were in the bucket, he, his mm-hmm. coffee cup was still in the dishwasher, his keys were, you know, his, his glasses were by the couch, like everything about him was there, but he wasn't there nor was he ever coming back. And that I, like, I fell to the floor and I just cried. I have zero control over that. And that grief would visit every hour or every five minutes or like it was just constant this like I'm never going to hear his voice again (gasps) you know and and it's like these 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 waves and people that you know they they call it these waves of sadness of grief I just succumb to them like fighting is futile as you should exactly and I think that's I think that's what helped me you know whether there was somebody watching me whether my kids were there whether i was at home depot looking for a hammer whatever like when it came i allowed it and i just you know and i knew that it would pass and i 
I've been through enough that I know that the way I was feeling that moment wasn't going to be the way that I was going to feel forever. And if I knew that, then I just had to allow myself to go through those feelings to eventually, you know, the waves spread further and further apart so that there's some peace in between there. How did your children grieve and how did they react to your grief? And so children are, you know, they grieve differently from what I read in that they um they experience grief in longer terms so they'll they grieve when they need their dad for something and their dad is not there so it may not be immediately of course they they have that sense of loss like i did but they they start rationalizing it over time um i didn't try to pretend that things are okay for my kids um you know they were at the hospital when he died like i was a complete and utter disaster and I let them see me. I wasn't hiding my grief from them or from anybody else. Um, and I would tell them, you know, I was like, like, I'm, this is, this is what it is, but I think this is going to get better. We just have to hold on together for a little bit. Um, and that a good choice, uh, good response from them. Um, grieving together. They, when you started crying, I assume they started crying. Yes. Um, but what's funny, so we were watching this TV show not too long ago and, uh, the guy loses his wife and he goes crazy. Like you see him, you know, like all disheveled on the street and like going like just his, you could tell that he was like in really bad shape. So I look at my kids. I'm like, aren't you glad that that wasn't me? Right. And they looked at me like, uh, and I'm like, what? You know, so here I am thinking that I did this fantastic job of modeling for my kids. And maybe they think I was totally crazy. I don't know. You know, like they're going to interpret whatever they need, whatever they interpret. But that's what I did. And that's what I tried. And um, I always tell them from, you know, from very young, I was like, I know that you're going to end up in some psychiatrist couch one day. And, you know, and some of those things will come back to me that's fine. But just know that I didn't do it on purpose. You know, it all just came out of love. And so now you're joking about it. But it's that's, but that's my past. You yeah. know, it's, like, I don't like there is no book that tells you there, there, you know, what to do when your husband suddenly dies and you have teenage boys. And if there is that book, like, you know, it, we're just we're navigating this as best we can. What was the time frame where you you reached acceptance? And then I want Debbie to ask you some questions after that. Um. I don't know, because even now it's been like 18 months and there's still times that I'll be like, wait a minute, what? You know, like it, it, it's grief is weird. It just like it hits when it hits and it has no, it doesn't, it just, so, so I don't know if there was a moment that I reached acceptance, um, but I think there was moments that I stopped fighting and one of those, so I had to sell this house in little rural New Mexico, which I loved. And I thought that was the place where I was going to be forever mm-hmm. I moved to Santa Fe because my kids live, um, we're going to school in Santa Fe. Um, and I remember I sold my furniture because it doesn't fit in our house here. And this couple bought my dresser as I listed, you know, so they came to pick it up. And when they were taking the dresser away, you would have thought that they were taking my my left kidney because it was like, but they're taking my dresser. I mean, my dresser, it held my maternity clothes. It held, you know, my my thin clothes, my fat clothes, my this clothes, my that clothes. Like they're taking it away. 
And I remember like having like, then I went into my crying spree and then I was like, I sold it to them. I am not, they're not taking it away from me. I'm letting go. And that's different. And I, that was a big turning point for me that I started seeing. It didn't make it easier necessarily. It doesn't mean that it hurts less, but I was letting go instead of somebody ripping this away from me. 18 months is still really quite raw, I would think, um, especially given the magnitude of what you've been through. So I'm wondering where you are now and um, where you see the process going. I think that where I am now is I use my story and I use opportunities like this as a way of healing as well, you know, as, as a way of turning my tragedy into something that might be helpful to somebody else. And that has always, you know, that has been a constant in, in the things that like in, in how I deal with difficult things. If I just kept it to myself and, and like, this, like it, it wouldn't feel good. Like this is part of my healing. Um, and I think that, you know, my grief is always going to be there because I mean, my husband was the love of my life. It really was kind of a, not, not just because he's dead, but because, you know, it really was a love story. Um, so that's always going to be there, but my life is going to be, it's still growing around that grief. And I just have to, you know, acknowledge that and, 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 it's just it's it's just a part of my story and who I am. So I I want to transform it into something that isn't always going to define me, but it's always going to be a part of me. I want to talk about your book and what uh, you hope audience will get out of it. But first, I want to ask you um, about a new romance. I know two specific people who lost their wives. Uh, one lost a wife. One lost a husband. And um, with within a year. One of them had hooked up with another date and and married. And uh, same with the other one, uh, maybe like 13, 14 months, which seems so so short of a time. So I guess everyone does grieve in their own time. Where are you in that? I mean, some people say, oh, no, no, I'm, that's, I, that's, I'm a one-man woman or I'm a one-woman man. You know, I'll never get married again. Well, where do you fit into that? No, I'm. Uh, I'm certainly not there the yet. Yeah, I'm. I'm not certainly not in in there yet. But I just turned fifty one, and though my kids think I'm very old, I still hope that I have a lot of life ahead of me. And you do. I used to be fifty one. <laughs> and I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't know what that's going to look like. So I don't. I'm, I don't think that I say it's like I'm never going to yada yada. Um, but I'm not there yet. So I, I don't know what, what's going to happen you're with that. You're the prime of your life and you're very attractive. And and in some rare cases, the children get all bent out of shape that you're considering, you know, dating someone to replace their father, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And But most of the time uh, they encourage it because they see, you know, you're mm -hmm. alone and, and they want you to be happy again. So when it happens, it happens. Exactly. Um, so tell us about your book and what you hope to accomplish uh, through readers um, reading it. Yeah. So the the book is, um, it tells a lot about my story, but it's more the tools that got me through this last, you know, the 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 year after my husband passed. And it, it isn't a grief book. Um, it's just the tools that I have been teaching my clients for years. I just used it on myself. 
And so what I hope people get out of it is life happens, right? It's hard. Nobody's saying that it's not. This is not about being toxically positive. It's like, oh, everything's like, it's not. It sucks and things are not right. But I still have power. And it's trying to instill that and letting somebody know it doesn't have to be this way. Like you, you do have the power to change the narrative. And once you change the narrative, then things change. You know, the words that you use are different Then the beliefs that you have are going to be different. And your beliefs are either going to allow you to take certain actions or they're going to stop you from taking certain actions. And then those actions are going to have results and they're going to reinforce your thoughts. So you can make this work for you. Or you can allow it to work against you. But ultimately, you're the one that makes that choice. Yeah, and I would encourage everyone to go out and get a copy because there's secrets in there on how to handle fear. You have mm-hmm. something called the 20% power principle for discomfort. Yes. Uh, you talk about, uh, and it's a best-selling book. So how can people get that book? Anywhere where books are sold, except in the actual in an actual bookstore because we're not there. But anywhere where books are sold online, um, whether that be Amazon or your favorite retailer, it should be there. You know, thank you so much for coming on the show. Can't believe how fast our time has gone today. Um, how can uh, listeners reach you if they want to speak to you or find out? You know, go to your website or your email or whatever. Sure. So my website is empoweredbydiscomfort.com, just like the title of my book. And that's kind of hub a hub for all things that I do, whether it's my coaching program or spe- I'm a motivational speaker, that kind of stuff. And I do answer all emails. People think I'm crazy, but I do. So yeah. I, I, I'm not saying it'll be answered, you know, the same day, but I will get back to you. So if this resonates with you or anything, just shoot me a line. I would love to hear from you. And Mayor Debbie, my co-host, is available at what? DebbiePeterson.com? Yes, or MayorDebbie.com. Mayor Debbie, I like that. And yep. what can they learn about you? Well, you can find out about the corruption <laughs> I found and how I fixed it and, and with a with a whole lot of other citizens and or how to get involved in local government, how to make a difference. Yes. And my number one best-selling book, Secrets from the Hammock, Uncommon Wisdom for Uncommon Times, is spreading wisdom all over the world. It's available wherever books are sold and at caregiverdave.com, my membership website. And uh, you can also schedule a free 30-minute initial coaching call there. Talk about whatever you're struggling with. Many times a 30-minute call uh, is all it takes to resolve a problem and move on in your life. And I invite everyone to join my Caregiver Dave Facebook online support group, 34,000 caregivers, lots of tools, resources, videos, uh, just trying to keep as many of you caregivers who are dying since statistics say that 30 to 40% of you die before your loved ones do. So uh, if you do click the follow button or the like button on whatever platform you're listening to this on, uh, it'll help us reach more caregivers through Google search engine algorithms. So again, thank you to everyone out there all over the world for tuning in every Wednesday, making us the number one caregiver podcast radio show on the internet. So until next week, same time, same channel. May God richly bless you all. Bye-bye. We are a community of caregivers that understands and supports you wherever you are in your journey. We are a place to connect with other caregivers, but more importantly, a place to get practical, actionable help. There are lots of ways for you to get support. First of all, you can download our welcome pack. This will get you started on your Thrive journey. 
Next, you can ask and get answers to your questions by posting them here in our private Facebook groups. You can also get live online support by attending one of our live Weekly Connect webinars. You can get practical, actionable advice by listening to our weekly podcast. You can hear and read other stories about other caregivers' experiences. Plus, add your own in our weekly Share Your Story forum, posted every Tuesday in the Facebook group. You can access essential resources and download practical Thrive Solutions Packs, all of which are geared to help you thrive as a caregiver. You can get lifetime access to all of our resources. Again, we're here to support you and help you thrive and to enjoy your life as a caregiver. And remember, this is a place to get hope, not just cope. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Keep breathing, take it in and let it out. Keep breathing, it's gonna be okay. Lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.